Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, if, the, if I can move it quick enough, we're going to look at all 11 verses in this psalm. And if I can't move quick enough, we're going to probably look at all 11 verses in this psalm. Uh, but I'll, I'll be mindful of the time. And I am so grateful and, and thankful that you're here in church tonight. Psalm 16. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 16. And I'm going to begin reading before verse number 1. Uh, I would like to read the superscription as well. It's only three words in our English Bibles. Psalm 16, beginning before verse number 1. I really just never get a chance to say that, so I, I want to say it tonight. All right, Psalm 16. Mictom of David. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips." The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what my lips are unable Father, that you would surpass our mind and strike our heart, yet that you would give us understanding to the peace that we can have in you and the sufficiency that you provide by your grace. Lord, I ask that you would empty me of myself tonight for even just these brief moments, that you would fill me with your spirit, not for my benefit, Lord, but for the benefit of your people tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have enjoyed the meditation, the examination, and the contemplation of this psalm. And there's just a few things I want to show you tonight in light of, of this coming new year. This will be the last time that we gather in 2022. I was speaking to Pastor Jordan just really just a few hours before the beginning of the service as we were going over some of the announcements for Sunday and the printing of the bulletin. And he looked up at me and said, I did it for the first time. 1-1-2023. Boy, 2022 is starting to get a little more distance in the rearview mirror, but like a ball and chain, it seems to be following me. Sometimes holding me back. But now we're almost three years removed from 2020. Those that were three 
in 2020 will be six. I am closing in on the birthday that I have coveted for so long. I am almost 40. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in just a few moments. I'm going to be 40 years old. It's going to be grand. If we're to be writing it in Roman numerals, you could do XL, extra large. That's me. I'm an extra large man now. I've never been extra large in my life. There have been times where I've been extra medium. That's kind of like extra mild and really not extra at all. So I'm kind of excited about it. Come on, loosen up, guys. 40 years old, 2023. We come through this holiday season and we experience the joys of thanksgiving. And for a brief moment, and I do mean brief, we express our gratitude. And in those brief moments, there is contentment. There is the sigh of satisfaction. There is a day that we set aside not to focus on the things that we want, but to focus on the things that we have. But then in the profound words of my friend Chase Whitten, he said, the next day we then act like we never owned a thing. And on Black Friday, we're waking up at 3 a.m. to see some doors open on a store. Or if you're now in this modern generation, you just wait and order it all online. But then the quest for Christmas, the quest for Christmas begins. And we are making lists and we're looking for sales and specials and we're looking to purchase things and we're waking with great hope of what we might receive on that glorious Christmas morn. And it seems like the contentment of Thanksgiving is now gone and, and the quest for more has begun. And now we are recovering from the receiving of all those gifts. And what are we doing? We are, no, Siri, I don't need your help today. Uh, we are looking, we're looking to New Year's Eve. And what's everybody going to do on New Year's Eve? Well, what are some people going to do on New Year's Eve? They're going to make a resolution. And basically that resolution is a statement of discontentment. That what they're currently doing, myself included, and what they're going to do. And with the exception of Thanksgiving, and I'm not condemning resolutions, nor am I condemning getting gifts for Christmas, but it does have a way, if not kept in check, of creating discontentment in us. Even this, these New Year's resolutions, discontentment about our, our physical appearance, discontentment about where we're at in our occupation, discontentment about where we are in our lives, and, and we compare ourselves to one another, and it, and it feeds this discontentment. But tonight, I would like to make an examination of Psalm 16, and I would like to preach on this topic, the satisfaction of the saint. If I were to grab one word in the English language and put it in complete opposition to the word discontentment, it would not be contentment. It would be satisfaction. 
Although contentment might suffice for some, satisfaction to me is a much stronger word. It's a much more satisfying word, if you will. It speaks not to the things that we don't have, as in, oh, I'm content with what I have, but instead it amplifies them, that I'm satisfied. Hey, it's like someone who has eaten well for a Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and now pushes his or herself away from the table and says, I want no more. I am beyond content. I'm, I'm satisfied. No more ham or turkey. No more mashed potatoes or gravy. No more dessert even. I'm satisfied. I don't want anything else. And that is the sentiment of Psalm 16. You'll notice the very first word is miktam. It is a miktam of David. Now, I want to bring some clarity to this word, although there are some various thoughts concerning its interpretation, but the idea overall is this, is it's an engraving meant to be preserved. So here in the miktam of David, it's David saying that, that we ought to engrave this on our doors, we ought to engrave this in our hearts, we ought to engrave this in stone, that as the weather comes and the years roll by, these truths will never be forgotten. There are six miktoms in all of the book of Psalms. One is found here in Psalm 16, and the five others are Psalm 56 through 60, and every single one of them was written by David. Moreover, every single one of them was written by David while he was fleeing. Not David while he was king. David, while his life could be rife with discontentment. Another uh, interesting thing about all of the Miktam Psalms is that every single one of them seemed to preserve the idea of resurrection. Uh, we see that here in this psalm. If we were to look down through it and look to verse number 10, we read, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And in all six of these psalms is preserved this idea of resurrection. But tonight I would like to emphasize three aspects of satisfaction for the believer. The first one is this. I want you to observe the practice of the saint as it pertains to his satisfaction, the practice of the saint. In verse number one of Psalm 16, we read this. It says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. It seems like we always want to be satisfied, but we would like to skip the step that involves our work in that satisfaction. We all want the paycheck, but none of us want the job. And we all want the return on investment, but none of us want to have to make the investment. But when it comes to our relationship in the Lord, although the work of our salvation is complete in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, 
When it comes to our own satisfaction, there is a work of discipline that we must do for our hearts and our minds will always be propelled towards discontentment. And here is what David says. He says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. You see, the practice of the saint in verse number 1 is one of placing all trust and all confidence in the Lord. It's interesting to me because when I read verse number one, I see that there is both future vision that is coupled with present action. In other words, the psalmist's eyes are looking towards tomorrow when he says, preserve me, O God. We all want to be preserved. We want to be preserved financially that our investments don't get washed away, don't check the markets. (laughs) We want to be preserved in our health, that we would have length of days, that we would be able to celebrate the eve of 2024 the same way that we celebrate the eve of 2023 in good health. We want to be preserved And this is the future vision of the psalmist. This is what David is looking towards. He's looking towards the future with future vision that the Lord would preserve him. But he's coupling that irremovable from his present action. That his future vision, preserve me, O God, is a result of his present action. For in thee do I put my trust. Notice, he's not waiting until the Lord's promise is fulfilled to put his trust in God. He's putting his trust in the Lord right now. The interesting thing to me about that is that his satisfaction does not come at the fulfillment of that preservation, but instead it comes the moment he places his trust in the Lord. He is confident that the Lord will keep him. He is confident that the Lord will preserve him. And how much of our discontentment, how much of our fear, how much of life's anxiety from insecurity comes because we do not place all of our confidence in the Lord. Look, church family, we can be satisfied in him right now if we would take the same steps that David did. And to place our trust in him right now. You see, that practice of placing our trust in him, it provides a secure perspective of the future, but it also provides a satisfying peace in the present. Look at verse number two. He says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. Notice he does not say, thou wilt be my Lord, but he says, thou art right now in this present time, my Lord. And we see the satisfying peace that comes as a result of that. Sometimes we wander away from the Lord and we would like to say that he is is ours and we are his. But we forget so often. We forget that we are purchased by the blood of his son. 
We go about the daily um, matters of our life and we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with all manner of, of insecurities for forgetting that not only is he our Lord, but he is Lord of the earth and heaven and the universe. He is Lord of lords and he is King of kings. And he is the one that is our provision. It's not our job that provides for us. It's not our relationships that, that supply us with the love that we need. It is our God and he is entirely sufficient. And we can be satisfied in him. He says, oh my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. That is the practice of the saint. The practice of the saint, it secures our perspective. It satisfies our peace and it, it supplies a simple pursuit. In verse number four, it says, their sorrows shall be multiplied. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offering of blood will not will not I offer nor take up their name into my lips. It's speaking of those who are not serving the Lord. It's speaking of those who are serving other gods. Now, now I am sure that the gods that the pagans are serving here in this time are gods like Baal. They're gods like Ashtaroth. They're gods of wooden or stone idols. They're gods of nature or, or they're gods. Uh, they're, they're these polytheistic gods that surround their temples. But you know, we have our own gods in this world too. And they don't go by the name of Baal and, and Ashtaroth, but instead the gods of this world are the gods of our own flesh, the gods of our own pride, the gods of our own pursuits. And even though we in this church would never with our lips say that we have replaced our own desires and taken Christ off his throne and placed our own desires in his place, the reality is sometimes we're guilty of doing just that. Every time we, we place the responsibility of providing for ourselves on our own platter instead of trusting in the Lord's provision. We're not trusting in the satisfying work of his hand. You see, if we are to find satisfaction in him, then there's a certain practice that we need to implement. And that practice is just pursuing him. Pursuing him. Pursuing him. The prophet Micah says it like this. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. And here's what God requires of us. Here's what God required of Micah before the birth of Christ. Here's what God required in the year that I was born in 1983. Here's what the Lord required in this year. Here's what the Lord's going to require next year. And if we're going to be satisfied, this needs to be our pursuit. Here it is. Here's what the Lord doth require. But to do justly, that means just do right. Just to do right. To love mercy. To be merciful to those who don't do right. To love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And if we can live a life after that manner, we can find satisfaction in him. But I notice the psalmist goes on. 
after speaking of the sorrows of those that don't find their satisfaction in the Lord God, he comes to verse number five and begins to talk about the portion of the saint. So in this quest for satisfaction, we see the practice of the saint, but then we see, secondly, the portion of the saint. In verse number five, he describes it this way, that the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. It's interesting to me that that David would say that the Lord is his inheritance. No, no, there was a tribe in Israel that would describe the Lord being their inheritance. You all remember as the children of Israel came into the promised land, the 12 tribes were all given a portion of the land that was promised. Dan had a portion there in the southern part of the promised land. Uh, Judah had a, had a portion uh, right there near Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem and all 12 tribes and even the half-tribe, the sons of Joseph, were given portions of the lamb. But there was one tribe that, that wasn't given a portion. It was the Levites. Uh, the Levites weren't given a portion of the land, but instead the Lord God promised the Levites that he would be their portion, that he would be their inheritance. In other words, God told them, if you serve me, I'll serve you. I'll provide for your need. You won't have to worry about an inheritance that's passed down from your father or from your grandfather or from your great-grandfather, for I will be your portion. It's amazing, though, because David's not of the house of Levi. David is of the house of Judah. In fact, you remember watching the lineage of Jesus, it comes down through Jesse to David. And, and you remember David was, was watching his father's sheep when the prophet... Sheeps, there I go again. Ah, little insight into our marriage. First time she ever heard me preach. Man, I preached the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. Thousands came to know the Lord that night. They're, they're still talking about the, the fires of revival that were sparked on that fateful Sunday night as I brought down heaven. Yeah, that didn't happen. But um, we got in the car and uh, I got some useful um, help for the next time I were to preach. And uh, I was reminded that I, when speaking about sheep in the plural, I called them sheeps. So now we still talk about that. And uh, <laughs> here I am, still making the same mistake. So, so wives, oh, let this be a help to you. Wives, if you find your husband making the same silly mistake that he was making when you first got married, it, you didn't marry a weirdo. Um, he and I are a lot alike. Okay. There you have it. Maybe you both married weirdos. Where was I? <laughs> All right. Sheeps. Oh, yes. The sheeps. They're on the hillsides there in, in Judah. While David was there watching the sheep. Sheep. Samuel came and David was watching them. And where was he watching them? He was watching them in Jesse's fields. Did not David have an inheritance? Yes, he did. 
So why is he talking about the Lord being his inheritance? Remember, I remind you that Saul is on the throne right now. There's no way on earth that David's going to get that inheritance. Not why Saul's king. Not why Saul is sitting on that throne. David is running and hiding in caves. There's no way that he could go home to his, to his father. There's no way that he could go home back to those fields that he knew as a little boy. He was a stranger. He couldn't go back. In fact, there is some implication that even during this time, David's own family had to flee because of, of his association with Saul. And now they, their own lives were in danger and found themselves in Moab. So his, his, his inheritance was, was being threatened. But what does he say? Is he wringing his hands? Is he worried about it? Is he feeling like, oh no, where is going to be my substance in the future? No, David is, is rather satisfied because he is able to declare in verse number five that the Lord is the portion of my inheritance. You know what he's saying? The Lord's got it under control. The Lord's got it under control. You know, while studying this, I came across a very interesting story about King George VI of England. King George VI, it is said that he was a genuinely born-again believer. In fact, before he ascended to the throne, he would make weekly trips on the outskirts of London and would gather with a group of Bible believers and they would share Bible stories. They would teach from the Bible and pray together. And then when he became the king, it was, he was unable to do that anymore. He was Queen Elizabeth, the one that just passed away. He was her dad. While he was fulfilling his royal duties. He had to make a trip across the Atlantic and found himself in British Columbia, Canada, which, and I'll forgive me for those Brits that may be watching, I believe is part of the Commonwealth. Making a visit there, they thought that it would be interesting and appropriate to find a native Indian chief that by birth was a chief of his tribe. And they brought forth this man named Chief Whitefeather, who interestingly enough had also come to know the Lord as his Savior. And they asked this chief if he would sing a meaningful song to him. And everybody that was there with this great political crowd was expecting the chief to sing a, a native war song. However, as a believer himself, he chose a, a song that absolutely shocked everyone else. And out of this Indian chief's lips came these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. With shock and amazement, all eyes now went towards King George. King George stood, walked over to Chief Whitefeather, shook his hand and said these words, I'd rather have Jesus too. As I was thinking about this, here is the king of the British Empire. 
Here is a native born chief of a tribe. They said they'd rather trade it all for Jesus. And we have that same inheritance. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And we can say the same thing that the psalmist says, that the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. And we can be satisfied with the riches of Christ, with the mercy that he gives us, of knowing that by his sacrifice and love, we have been brought into this glorious family of God. And we can be satisfied in him, realizing that his riches are far greater than anything that this world can give. And you may sit in there, be sitting there tonight and say, but Pastor Jared, I've still got to make it out in the slog of this world tonight. And what does the psalmist say? Look at verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. You realize that the Lord is the maintainer of the lot of your life even right now? Now, quickly, I'd like to look at the uh, verses that follow after it. If I look down to verse number seven, I'll learn that as God maintains my lot, that it is guided by God. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. The Lord will guide us every single step of the way here in this life. Not only is it guided by God, but it is guarded by God. In verse number eight, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. No matter what this past year has brought your way, and no matter what this next year will bring by, the Lord has set us, and we are unmovable in him. Not only is it guided, is our life guided by God and guarded by God, but I love this. Our life is gladdened by God. Look at verse number nine. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, and my flesh also shall rest in hope. You know, you cannot be satisfied and not be happy about it. I have never seen someone put their fork down after eating the last bite of Christmas dinner and isn't happy about it. And here we are able to feast at the table of God's goodness. And let us be glad in it. Here we are able to enjoy the care of his hand. And may we rejoice and glory in it. For the satisfaction of the saint, we observe the practice of the saint, the portion of the saint, and I'll close with this, the prospect of the saint. The prospect Or if I could say it like this, there are some things that are coming. There are some things that are coming mentioned in verse number 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Now that holy one to see corruption, that's speaking prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in your Bibles, the capital H, the capital O, holy one. That's speaking of the Messiah. That's speaking of the fact that though they slayed him on the cross, his body never saw sin. And therefore sin was never able to do a corrupting work in his flesh. And up from the grave he arose. However, I will tell you this, that this mortal will 
will put on immortality. And this corruption will put on incorruption. We have been given a promise. The author of Romans says it like this. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Friends, we've been given a promise. We don't have to fear. We can be satisfied in the prospect of what God has for us in the future. The future resurrection and the future restoration. Look at verse number 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 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 It's not just the words that some raven spoke in some Edgar Allan Poe song or poem. It's the words of Christ. That he will be with us and we with him forevermore. 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 And when we look to the pages which describe that forevermore, it is an eternity with no sickness or death. It is an eternity where he will make all things new. And that eternity will outweigh every moment in this life. We don't have to live unsatisfied discontent in some endless pursuit thinking that if we just attain enough wealth or enough things then then our hearts will be set at ease but instead Christ has offered us all of those things through his son Jesus Christ we can be content oh no 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 we can be satisfied in him